Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the J3U Podcast. I am your host, John Jewett. With me is co-host Luke Miller. And today, we bring you massive arm training. (laughs) Welcome to the gun show. (laughs) How's it going, Luke? Good, man. I think there's a reason I have a hoodie on covering mine up because there's still not a strong point yet, but they're getting there. Oh, I got my hoodie on too. <laughs> it, it must be winter in Texas. I know. It's yeah, cold. it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a freezing, what, 50-something degrees. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> I, I went out for my morning walk this morning. I I like shorts, so I have my shorts on, but I have my sweatshirt and a hoodie on. I'm walking, I'm like, I, I probably didn't need all this. And <laughs> I know anyone that's like up north that saw that, like, would see me wearing this, be like, this is ridiculous. I'm, like, such, I'm such a wimp. So I have started doing my morning steps on the treadmill because it's too cold to walk to Starbucks in the morning. Because <laughs> I don't want to like dress up in sweats and shit. So I just, do my steps and then drive to get my coffee. And the thing about it is you get iced coffee. So it's not, (laughs) you could be on a journey to like this hot beverage, right? But no, it's like cold to cold, colder (laughs) back home. (laughs) So yeah, I changed the morning routine a little bit. Yeah. And mine, I'm I'm still coming like post-show. I used to like have some fasting period and then, then do all my steps in and cardio and now it's like the idea kind of switched like I just want to get enough movement for the day and get my meals in because now my meals are starting to like be a little bit larger and they're easier for me to accumulate at the end of the day which on prep you're like well I'll make sure I won't be hungry later on but now it's like oh man my meals are getting too too close together so having to uh rearrange the schedule so I might go on a short walk when I get up just to get outdoors and move and then come right back home and get my my first meal in yeah well we got to figure out how to get bigger arms yes let's dive into it so luke my arms are weak help me that's i think it's a it's a pretty common body part that people want to be addressed yeah um and that's i think it's across the board even like when i first started training like oh, i want a big arms you know um it's like we're in t-shirt t-shirt season and tank tops see your arms know you train um, I think within that, a lot of people, it's not a weak body part. And this, I, I don't mean to come across as like rude or anything, but this, there's overall development that needs to happen, right? It's not that arms are weak. It's kind of like, well, everything's kind of weak. <laughs> uh, we just need some overall size. And I think once you go to like start looking at more contest photos, looking at more physiques, you start to see like Im- the imbalance that might be there. And it's really hard for people to pick out th- that on themselves. Yeah. You just, for me, where it stands out the most is when you pull up into like a front double and like people don't typically pull that out as like their initial assessment. It's like one of the big things I'm looking on a front double is like tricep hang, especially from like a back double. Are we seeing that external rotation that allows to show it? Um, and I think it kind of starts to become a relative game, kind of like you said, like where are the arms relative to the physique in a lot of these poses, um, and then kind of going from there based on your programming on that. 
Um, but I definitely yeah. think one of the, go ahead. No, I think you're right. Like, and truly like the front double is such an exposing pose because a lot, there's a lot of the lats, the chest, all those are like lengthened out a lot. So if you're not round, like you, you are not really going to be able to hide it there. Legs, obviously you're not, you know, it is what it is. They're straight on. And then that also gives a pretty good display of the arm. So you really show, I think in that pose, um, uh, where you would really have any imbalance. And if you're like, oh, wow, no, I, I really don't have any lats or chest. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, maybe we should think about before we allocate a whole day, just arms and take that away from these other body parts. But you know, you're right. It's like a pose for, for pose assessment, um, front double, rear double, side chest. You know, yeah. that's a big display of the, the whole side of the arm. How's it look in relation to the, the shoulder? How chest, uh, hamstring hang, all is, is all that in place? Or is it just truly like you just want big arms, but you just have that already have a balanced physique anyway? Yeah. Um, so I think, first off, I get that rules that out. So this is, this is not for you. If you have like just a, a balanced, relatively balanced physique and you need a lot more stage weight, well, that should be your focus, not on arm training. Now, if you truly have an imbalance where arms you've been putting on good size, which I think if, if you, you should be a few years down the road of putting on overall growth before you're like, okay, arms are, are not moving at the same rate. What do I do from there? Um, and, and I don't, I think starts to shift that design around how we would program training. I think there's a lot of like uh, common issues that, I currently like, why is that, why is the body part weak? And it's addressing a lot of the issues we see and just poor training as well. Yeah. Do you have some that immediately come to your mind? I, I think it's just like a lack of use of things that would allow you to be accurate. Like we went over this in the applied hypertrophy module about like choosing exercises that are going to allow you to drive tension directionally where you want it. So it's like, the commonality of how common do you see fucking barbell curls and a skull crusher on an easy bar, right? It's like, yeah, from an alignment standpoint and being able to drive tension where you want it, like the amount of torque that's going through the elbow, which is one of the biggest problems we see is elbow pain with arm training is like, yeah, we probably have a list of exercise that would be better options than the ones that we're choosing. And so a lot of times it'll come down, not, not only to execution, which I'm sure we're going to get into, but just starting with choosing the right exercise right like before we even get into some of the execution pieces like choose the ones that allow that person to get into the position that they need to in order to drive hypertrophy and tension to the target tissues yeah i think that's a great assessment point of someone that's because my first inclination or what you might see just in someone like hey i need more arms i'm going to do more arm training and more volume and that might just create more of an issue that you're occurring. It doesn't mean, we know more doesn't always equal more growth. It might mean more connective tissue stress and joint stress. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like the right exercises need to be in place. And that's gonna give you longevity within your training blocks. And that longevity will, is, will create the growth you need. Cause my issues when I've been doing more arm work, usually it's, for me, arms grows, grow pretty quickly. And I'm doing more pressing and pulling, but it's the same issues that occur with a lot of arm training is that that connective tissue stress. So I'll get um, like medial epicondylitis 
or like golfer's elbow uh, in those forearm flexors, getting really irritated from all like the curl work uh, or in its rowing. And then also I'll get some uh, just pain like right at the tip of my elbow from tricep pressing. But what, what I found is that for one, I'm picking movements that didn't align well and that bind joints and I'm still forcing those movement patterns to occur. And that just accumulates a lot of connective issues. So with arm training, yeah, it's definitely getting in positions where you can actually execute and be in, be in a, a point where you can drive tension and, and not have all the, all the joints binding and causing a lot, of, a lot of stress. And it's just what we go over in, in our like applied hypertrophy module, how to assess and set that up. Um, I think, you know, starting within that increasing set quality, for one, I mean, start with biceps or biceps or triceps, I, I wouldn't care. Yeah, I think with biceps, you just have a lot of opportunities to create braces that would allow the quality to be high, right? Like preacher curl variations, even like with a regular curl, like I've had people just leaning up against a preacher bench where their elbows have to touch like the whole time, like doing it unilateral, kind of keeping it put some sort of like touch sensation that forces position to stay where it needs to be. Um, and you can avoid a lot of the issues that are typically we see with bicep training, which is just shoulder involvement of some sort, whether it be, you know, pulling a shoulder forward, elevation shrug type of a thing with like a drag curl type of a curl variation or something along those lines. And it's typically around limiting shoulder involvement for most people. Yeah, you don't want to be turning this thing like into some type of weird power cleaning variation, which you see, right? Guys swinging, and this is like maybe some old, old older thoughts of certain bodybuilding segments of like just, just sloppy curls, right? Big weight, moving it with some sloppy shitty form. And you're moving a lot of weight, but how are you moving all that weight? Well, <laughs> getting going with the lower back and the quads and then help having shoulder finish it. And then there's a little bit of bicep in there somewhere. So yeah, I think, taking the, the non-movers out and, and creating that that brace it would be very very beneficial for a lot of people uh, i mean obviously it's like hey it's the biceps what does it do it flexes the elbow a little bit of shoulder flexion that we we have like the i mean it's pretty minimal but it's not going to be to where we're having to really you know if you have the it move your curl and you move a little bit at the shoulder it's it's not a huge deal that i'm going to make but for the most part this is going to be just moving at the elbow alone and trying to lock every single joint otherwise in place the feet knees hips shoulders lock everything down to where you only move across the joint where that where that muscle takes action and then where that muscle taking action you know where, where other planes can we need to work in so with the biceps you know with the arm by the side uh potentially some type of like um you know, abducted externally rotated position like i mean you could you could do like you know luke's showing us his uh, cable crossover <laughs> i mean you could do a cable crossover or like i've been a preacher curl is basically the same idea um yeah. you know you're kind of opened up in that position the upper arm is braced and it gives you some really good stability of course hey if you i know we, we, we talked about this knocking out like a, a functional shoulder stability aspect with a cable crossover, <laughs> getting in that position of having to like stabilize the shoulder on your own and curl, but then you have to justify, if you have really poor shoulder stability, you're also probably gonna not create a very good bicep output 
doing that? I think it comes to where you put it, right? Like not yeah. putting output exercise. It's like putting it in that prep work where you're gaining that access to here before you even start the session, if you know you're going to be exposed somewhere in this plane. So like commonly that would be thinking more in a push setting, like using this to gain external rotation access. So we're having to press overhead, then we're, we're doing that rather than like an actual movement within training. Yeah, that's starting to get down a whole other. Let's not go down that route. Path. <laughs> um, it, it, it does bring up a point that I'm, I'm gonna write down and make sure that I hit on at some point talking today <laughs> of, of just sh shoulder stability because it's an issue um yeah. and, and but anyway yeah so for for biceps uh yeah within that within any of these curls exercises that we do um, i want to make sure like I, I say do the curl motion before you even get to the machine or the dumbbell whatever it may be and look at that arm path and where your wrist and elbow and shoulder are set up in a comfortable position Whatever machine you get in, whatever curl you do, you want to be able to stay in that position. So if you're a lot, a lot of bodybuilders really suck getting externally rotated and curling with the palm directly up. Usually it's some type of a like slight internal rotation. And if you curled just standing there, it would kind of like come over to the other pec, you know, <laughs> like kind of this kind of a kind of a cross body curl, right? Yeah. And then you get in the easy bar that forces you in this position and you're like, it gets, there's some awkward motion there. Like it's usually really hard to lock out. And if you fatigue, you'll see it like their pinkies start coming down and they're just like, hold it. This is me. This is me. And I'm like holding it by just my thumbs and, and my elbows are out. I'm like, yeah. I'm not really doing a bicep curl anymore. It's kind of like more of this hammer curl variation. So I think that's, that's an assessment point. Like how do you curl just standing there, find a way to do that through whatever means you need to. So whether like, like, like Luke and I both like the single arm dumbbell curl with like a lean to that side to where you can line up the shoulder, elbow and wrist directly at a 90 to the ground. That way that bicep is lined up perfectly and you can align your joints really well. If you're like that type of bodybuilder that, that does the cross body curl. Um, you can do the same setup with like a, a cable curl too. Yeah. And um, you know, essentially what's nice with the cable curl too is you can kind of adjust in that motion where you want the, the peak tension or let it, let it off a little bit as like an extra note there. So I'd yeah. say, hey, starting off, we probably want some type of curl arm by the side, something that loads kind of mid-range, which yeah. a dumbbell would be great still option or even a, a cable would be good to option too. Um, from there, the bicep also curls with the shoulder in some flexion. It aids a little bit of flexion. So like we said, a preacher curl mm -hmm. is another great variation that I, that we both really like. So um, those are some two primary ones for, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah, those would be primary. Yeah. And then considering something a little bit more in shoulder extension, like some sort of stretch position curl like an incline cable or even an incline dumbbell even though technically the profile is not the greatest but um and then something within like a neutral for like a breaker radialis right like a hammer curl variation of some sort yeah and the same principles apply that we just talked about you know how yeah. do you curl just standing there without any load and find a way to do that so it can be a dumbbell hammer curl as far as like it being cross body or not uh, that's going to really i think dictate just by how you would curl just standing there. 
So you might already be curling kind of cross body. And so you just put, just move into a neutral grip and do your hammer curl in that, that variation. Yep. Um, reverse curls. Uh, yes. Radialis. Huh? It's a good old forearm work. Yeah. Do you do much for like reverse curling? Mm -mm. No. no. I get so beat up. I can't, I get to the point where it affects my back training if I do it too much. Gotcha. I will typically just stick with a hammer curl. I That's feel like that hits enough brachioradialis on top of all, all the other training to do. I do find and my issue with the medial epicondylitis, the golfer's elbow, was mm -hmm. that wrist flexors are overworked and my ex wrist extensors were kind of underworked. Um, so, I mean, although there's a lot of curling that I do, which trains the brachioradialis, my just like wrist extensors don't get a lot of training. And we're always in that kind of like flex position. Um, so I, I will do on my bicep days, like dumbbell wrist extensions, more of like a, a prehab thing than a hypertrophy thing. But hell, if they get bigger too, I won't complain. Um, so usually my last bicep exercise, I will like superset those to where it kind of be knock a little bit extra out as well. Um, going, but you know, I'll hang, I'll hang my like forearm off like a, a preacher bench with dumbbells and just do it that way. Or I guess if you had like a wrist roller, but I don't really like the wrist roller. Um, it's like moving around and like flailing your arms around and or you have to stand on something. And, and so I just do it with the dumbbells perfectly fine. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I think those would be, you know, making sure that you're aligned in all those exercises that you choose. And those would be your kind of your three that would really knock everything out, right? Uh, yep. Standing, supinated bicep curl oh i guess that's a point would you move from a neutral to a supinated grip in the curl no I, I would keep it supinated and then let the neutral grip hammer curl take care of that aspect Same. um and then then a preacher curl then something like with the shoulder behind you or arm upper arm behind you like an incline bench curl or like i said we we had that single arm cable curl you could do and kind of get in that same position right yeah. So I know I mentioned that first, but a standing dumbbell curl, preacher curl, then like a single arm cable curl with that arm a little bit more behind you. That covers pretty much all functions of where of the bicep in different shoulder positions. Yeah. And I think the piece that ties this all together is just understanding that as you move into movements that align better or a little bit stricter with form, progressions in the logbook and an acute standpoint is probably needed to be a little bit more patient just because because of how isolated the action is. I see a lot of people get very frustrated with like type A need logbook to progress now type of thing. It's like, hey man, if you did 14 reps last week and you got 14 this week and attempted a 15th, like that's that's still progress, right? Like if you just, even if you didn't complete the 15th. So it, it's a little bit more on the patient side with logbook progressions and looking at the month to month trends rather than the um, I just say that because I see a lot of people get aggravated with it. No, no, you're you're completely right. I mean, a lot of these just load very light. Like think about a cable curl, like it's like 30 pounds on your cable curl. And the next one up is like, oh man, drop off four reps or something, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're right. Like the, just because the log book is not moving doesn't mean there's not, you know, good stimulus occurring and adaptation occurring. You might notice like, oh, the eighth rep felt a little bit easier this time. Um and I think even jumping between rep ranges helps as well, just to, 
to space out. If you are, if you, if you have an issue looking at the logbook every time and not seeing stuff move, you know, like one week hit 15s, then the next week you can move to 10s and then you rotate those rep range patterns or movements if you want, just to have some time to actually see the gauge and needle move. Now, it depends on your, your level. So we're talking about someone that's probably in the intermediate stage or even yeah. the advanced stage. And all your other movements are probably moving maybe every other week, um, maybe stuff or just, it takes several weeks to really move. So arm training, yeah, this might be something that's going to take uh, several weeks or even might even be block to block where you're seeing that, that change increase, but it doesn't mean to do more because I know we talked about like, Hey, I'm recovering. Great. Um, you should see performance improvement. Uh, if not, then maybe you need to be training a little bit more. Uh, with arms, you, you need the time to be able to truly assess that. I think, like like Lou said, it's probably more so block to block where you really need to to assess it. Yeah, um, I 100% agree with that. Um, I think that brings us to triceps, yeah? Yeah, triceps. So Lovely. Uh, yeah, common issue, at least within for me, like I mentioned, was elbow pain and picking the wrong movements or movements that were great to start, and then they just oh, end oh, in yeah. catastrophe, which... It's like this a skull crusher because I I get a great tricep you know output out of it. I get pumped. There's a ton of like distortion in the muscle, but after like six weeks, they're just elbows are beat to shit. And then I then I take like another six weeks off of even barely training triceps. So uh, yeah, picking the right exercise is off the bat of what is it within your ability is so important. Um, and the same thing goes with biceps too. How, how do you move without under any load? What is your what is your access in those positions? And then finding movement patterns that fit within that. And I think that's an interesting point because I, I run into a similar issue. You probably saw in the forums, I had to pull the skull crusher that I had in my plan for a different variation. Um, it's just like a movement I get a lot out of, but it's like, man, I got like 10 weeks of runway and that's it um, before I'm having to pull it and it's affecting other things. So I think like that comes to what are the main hitters with the movement selections that we're choosing. Um, so big fan of some sort of compound pattern for sure, whether that's a JM press, close grip press, dip for of some sort. Um, when mitigating elbow pain there, I see a lot of value in either doing like an end range extension to like prime elbow joints and, and get triceps firing pretty at a pretty high level. Um, not as like a work, type of a thing, just as like a getting into that position, like an isometric hold, um, or even taking it as far as doing work sets before. But the reason I don't go down that route is trying not to throttle performance on the compound variation for most people. Um, and then we're kind of getting into push down variations and maybe some sort of skull that's gonna be a little bit easier on the, on the elbow joint. Yeah, so I think, you know, within the context of where you, what your needs are development wise for a compound movement, if you can kind of knock out two birds with one stone, th that's pretty ideal. So yeah. if you need triceps and chest, okay, well, we could do a close grip bench press and hit a little bit on both ends of that. Or if you needed like triceps and delts, well, hey, maybe we could do some type of incline pressing, close grip variation, or, or that might even be the same thing with like a, a dip, um, which I, I I would lean more towards probably delt and triceps on a, on a dip. It had depending on how you set it up. 
Um, but, but with Garla, say, yeah, picking that compound movement, you can get a lot out of it. And like you said, like, it's nice to have a path to really load a lot over time and see some good progression with. So it just, yeah, it does give you a lot of runway within that, within the movement pattern. Now, some people are going to be very dominant pressers and maybe certain muscle groups over others. So maybe it's still not enough tricep stimulus. And that's when you need that extra isolation work in place. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, I think ideally loading something when the muscle stretched is going to have potentially more of the hypertrophy stimulus there and, and cause that adaptation you want. However, that's also a lot of why people get a lot of elbow issues. So um, yeah, depending on the application, if you, if you're doing something like after all your press work, you could probably go right into like a, a stretch position tricep work. Um, you might still have the issue and you might need to do some pushdowns first. It just depends. Or if we're talking just on arm day, which we'll get into the split design here in a second, then you might need to do like more pre-activation or just, just warming up basically in a pushdown and not having it be your true work work sets. Uh, but again, I don't think it's a huge issue if those need to be your work sets and that's going to keep you sustainable over your long period off season. If that's what does, well, that's has a lot more value than just only getting eight weeks to where you're like, oh, now my elbows are beat up and I need to switch it back. Um, so that comes in like your own individual needs of what you need to program. But, but again, with any of these positions, it's still, where do you, where do you have your own ability to align well with so within like a push down position same thing goes with our biceps as most bodybuilders like kind of move in a in a elbow extension position which is not directly at the side so like a cross body is really what most of the time i see and actually how i stay really comfortable with that little bit of internal sh um shoulder rotation which if you have like a prime bar setup for a push down and it, it allows you to one, pick a grip that could be shoulder width for you, but also allows for some internal rotation to occur. That's pretty ideal. Um, and it's, it's bilateral. So you also can create a little bit more stability, but also you're, it's a time efficiency standpoint because that's the issue of me. When I get to the end of the workout, <laughs> it's hard for me to do like one arm on everything for every, you know, it's like, I just want to do some like bilateral movements and be convenient with time. Yeah, that's where the spud bar comes in because those those hooks allow for the same thing, right? Those spud hooks allow yeah. for that internal rotation and then just straight on extension from there. And I think there's a lot of value within having some sort of variable setup for that that push down. And then um, that's a good tip, like tip on those because you showed me those those spud straps uh, for for push downs. Which if you're not watching the video, it's basically just a like a toe strap you stick your your hand in and it, it braces the bottom of your palm so it, it takes it the tent the, the, instead of loading like the whole palm itself like with a prime handle or a d handle if you get really beat up in your forearm flexors and you just want to take like a moving part away and be more braced those are those are awesome to do and i kind of use even if you don't have those straps it's just, it's just a loop of nylon is all it is. So it's something you could probably pick up at Home Depot and do it that way. But yeah, those were, those are great. Um, from yeah. from limiting some extra stress and getting in a good position that feels comfortable. I think, I think one value too is like having that bilateral pattern, but also doing 
like a day where you do have the single arm push down because for your stronger individuals, so like people more intermediate, there can be some bracing things that like on a push down that kind of limited on, on like a bilateral. Right. You're right. It turns into like ab work, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're like trying to lean into it just to stay yeah. Um, and so like, and then you progressively see over the block, like as the load goes, the person starts leaning and leaning and leaning. <laughs> it's like, like how much did you actually progress versus just counter force the weight more? But um, so I think there is a value if time efficiency is an issue in like a single arm push down for that standpoint, because we can positionally stay in a better spot for the most part. And I'll use a, those spud straps for that too, just for that same, like trying to lean with flexor involvement. Well, I think that's probably like for anyone that has gym access, like that setup could work anywhere. A single arm push down, like almost every gym I've ever been to has a cable and a D handle. <laughs> um, if you do, if you do have the straps, cool. If not, a D handle is would perfectly work fine, and you can easily set up yourself to where you're, you're right in the right position to align that cable with how that arm is going to move. So yeah, that's that's it's a it's a great setup to do, um, and that's what's been able to allow me to keep training triceps. And I'll, that's what I do. I'll do bilateral one day, and the other day I'll do like a single arm pattern, um, and uh, that that'll and I still depending on what day it is, uh, I might have my the push down variation first. And then on the other day, it might be the, the like a, a JM press. On the JM press though, I'm moving from like my other like heavier pressing days. So the triceps already have gotten quite a bit of work in. So the elbows feel good moving to it. The other day, I don't have as much pressing. And so I'll do like the push down first. Yeah. So just one way to work with it. And then there's on, on that uh, that other day too, I don't have like any type of really that much overhead stuff. So I don't, it works out programming wise, but anyway, getting talking about overhead pressing, um, you know, I still think you like doing the incline or do you do it on incline, the dumbbell extensions? The skull crusher extensions? Yeah. yeah, yeah. On the incline relative to the access I have. Yeah. So okay. like flat, if you don't have a whole lot of access so that you can stay a little bit over the shoulder joint and then progressively more inclined, the more access you have um, more for gaining that shoulder stability. Right. So where the extreme would be literally sitting in something that's like our chair and doing that single arm skull crusher from behind the head, um, not only for training that triceps in a stretch position, but for the crossover transfer into overhead pressing because developing that stability capacity. Um, in the overhead position. Yeah, and I guess that was, I won't make this a, a tangent at all, but some issue around your arm training and your arms not growing could be your lack of shoulder stability. So to be able to lock down the shoulder and create output in the muscle you're tending, you need to be, be braced. So if you lack function to, to if, you, if you get like overhead with something and you're like shaky with it, um, it's, it's probably an issue that needs to be addressed. And so what we're talking about here, like getting in like that overhead tricep position helps you train that function, but you probably also need some functional aspects of training to strengthen those rotator cuffs and, and stabilizers, your sartorius, uh, not your sartorius, your anterior serratus <laughs> and all, everything that would stabilize your shoulder. You need to strengthen it in different planes. So you can get, once you get in those other positions, you can put good output there. Um, 
but that could be an issue. I know in my left shoulder, I, you know, I have less stability within it and I can tell my bilateral movements, it's an issue and it'll, it'll be lagging. And I also happens to be like a little bit smaller shoulder and my little bit smaller arm. And so this directly gets into like, Hey, you, you're, if your arms are weak, uh, maybe you can train all you want, but you're just not being able to even direct the force through, or it could be neurological and there's some, some, some nerve entrapment or something going on with that, or it's, or it's just been down-regulated to protect and guard against the area because it's not stable. Um, so gaining stability would be huge if you're noticing, especially asymmetry within, within arms, but in general, you know, it's stuff we should be doing, we don't do as bodybuilders. But uh, so getting in these positions like Luke's talking about, like an overhead tricep extension, it would, it would train that capacity to some extent and help develop that strength. Now, Luke, I'd say like getting in that, like that dumbbell position on a bench, I'm still internally rotated. And it's like, I can't keep my elbow directly up. Um, I can't get that full like external rotation of the shoulder. Where do we move from there? <laughs> Probably the cable overhead. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my preference because I can just put my torso in the position where it directly aligns with the cable and extend from there that's actually the variation i'm running right now yeah so you could i mean you could even move like a military bench up to the cable if you want to do like seated and more braced but it's usually such light loading I, you, you can just stand and brace and then i think you get that extra ability of like training the core slightly you know without taking away from a movement pattern um but you, yeah i would assess like what can you get to overhead and set your cable up exactly like that and, and move through that exact range with just grabbing the, the cable in place. And uh, I really like those. I think I've heard someone call them like um, sword draws or something before. <laughs> Do you hear them call that like samurai poles or something? No, that's what I start writing them in my programs. At. Yeah, it's a badass way. Like single arm cable overhead. You're like, ah, oh, that sounds too like pink pink dumbbell like like uh, joe bennett would say right well we go no they were doing samurai poles you're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, um we kind of touched on it as we walked through this podcast but i do think there's some value in talking about programming just like how how we are programming it yeah no um definitely that like i think hits on improving your set quality yeah for sure as a start point Right. So if your arms are growing, are you getting quality arm training already? And I think improving your movement patterns, making sure you're selecting the ones that are going to be best for you, for your alignment. So run that first and what you're currently doing. And then also we should look at like the actual session design with training weak body parts and that weak body part in general. And then um, then, of course, like the split over the week. Yeah. Um, I even lean <clears throat> towards people that I know have addressed the execution side, not overly jumping straight to an arm day. Um, just because I think there's a lot of room within just general program design to bring frequency up where we can kind of take care of the volume metric there. I mean, it's the same concept me and you talk about with like shoulder training. It's like, they're smaller, they can pretty much take a beating as long as joints are holding up fine. Like we can probably run the frequency card here um, and just start to train them on days that 
you typically would. So like, yeah. uh, if, if, if we're starting to talk about pulling a volume card within programming outside of the confines of our normal sets up setups for arm training, we're starting to, I'm starting to place it in areas like leg days where it's like, what's three sets of a curl, two sets of a curl before we go train legs, probably nothing relative to diminishing sure. performance within leg training. Yeah, no, I, I would agree there. And I think you have to start looking at like your volume, like you had it laid out by body part, right? How many sets you have to do for adequate biceps, you know, stimulus for the week, whatever it is, 10 sets. Yeah. Just, just think of it. How do you arrange that to give enough output and stimulus on a day? And then do you need more frequency to recover or if it's so much in one day, maybe you need to have it on another day. And that's when you move to that second day of, of training. Um, so I think getting outside of like, well, this is push day and I only train push muscles on that, that day. It, it's like, yeah, it's, we're not training just movement patterns. It's just, how do you want to arrange the volume? And it has to make sense though, too, because uh, some stuff doesn't pair well. And then uh, it, it's hard to flow through, through some, certain aspects, but with arm training, it's pretty quick to warm them up and you can really lay it out to where it can be effective. So um, I think, yeah, for one, if you already have a setup, then, you know, having some, usually it's arm training on the end of your compound work. And that's usually how we do it. I, I would typically never put it in the beginning ever. <laughs> uh, it would just, it's going to take away from the big picture of what you really want. The big ticket items of like chest delts um, back, so you probably already have some tacked on to the end of a session. Um, if we need to bump it up, if it's low within that session, I still think that would be like a starting point. Um, and so it depends what you're doing. You, usually we're running like a, a push-pull leg type setup. So you're already training arms probably every four to five days. If that's not enough, and you do notice that with at the end of your push or your pull session, fatigue is higher the the set quality is just low like you're not really getting pumps um, that might mean to move some move some of that volume to the beginning of another session uh, and that could easily enhance the quality of that of that volume so that's a whole thing of like volume quality it's not that you might to do more like how do we make it even even better well you can put it at the beginning of the session so yeah, like you, like Luke said, you could add some bicep work at the beginning of legs. And that is like the, the DC like setup, how I used to run it. It was like a bicep move, a forearm move, calves, hams, quads. I wouldn't train it like that for, for a few, like necessarily with calves in there before my leg work, but um, that was the idea. And it was so, it was so like low tax movements, you know, to do prior to legs. Um, I feel like you could, if it was really an issue, you could probably do like a bicep and a tricep pushdown. And the tricep pushdown would would be like, and I would have it to where like that day would be like higher, a little bit higher reps. So you could get in, have some stimulus, but it's not gonna carry over into impact your, your pushing days. Um, and that way you get like some extra tricep work. Cause I know we, you hear people talk about biceps and beginning with legs. It's like, well, where do I put my extra tricep work? It's like, well, yeah, okay, on pull day, it might affect pull downs, or you won't want to put it first. Your push days, you don't want to put it first there. Um, and so, like, well, should I do another day then? It's like, well, we don't want to do another day just yet. Uh, I think you could easily do, like, three sets of biceps, triceps, like, superset them, 
knock it out and then go into your leg work from there. I think as a start point. Um, yeah, what I've done in the past, just depending on how the program set up is like before quads, a bicep movement, and then before hams, a tricep movement. So that Okay, if you had, if you had a split leg day, yeah. yeah. If you have a split leg day, like doing it that way will kind of help with getting that extra day in. Um, but I do think one thing is like, that can affect quality is exercise sequencing or ordering. Like how many times have you tried to do a fucking push down after doing a lateral? Oh my God, trying to keep your shoulder locked down to output with your tricep is the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> so like not stringing like three sets of 15, 20 on a lateral straight into a push down. Like there's some value in like thought processes like that that can also improve quality. Yeah, yeah, just the, just the flow, right? Um... I mean, so if, if that's, so if we're at that point, right, we already have our, our volume laid out there. We can't do any more arm work before legs. Does, do we now justify the actual arm day? Uh, Cause at some point your session might get too long and you need to break it up. Um, and I, I would, you'd have to look at probably how, how, where your rest days are and what that initial setup is and where can you move it to where it wouldn't maybe be as impactful as taking volume away from their areas. Because if you add an arm day in, a whole nother day of training, you're gonna spread out the rest of your training sessions. So you maybe you're training push every five days or something. Well, you're gonna move it now to every six days. So you're, you are in turn dropping volume across your split for the week, uh, low, lower, netness, you know, in, essentially. Um, less frequency, less stimulus um, occurring. So you, you are in a, in a way deprioritizing other muscle groups to add in this extra arm day. I think that's where the conversation goes. I was going to say what I do a lot of times, and this is actually in like a part of my program is like a shoulder arm day where it's like modified push more than anything. It's like shoulder work, one chest movement, and then arm work. Yeah. But that's typically off the back end of saying, I'm going to put chest a little bit more on the back burner. And so that's kind of where the conversation starts to go for me is like, we can't prioritize everything. We yeah. have to make some decisions. And like, for me right now, we both agreed that like my chest took such a leap forward this past all season that it's now like a pretty dominant body part. And it's like, let's devote a little bit more time to shoulders and arms. And I'm only doing like, like, for example, in my program, it's like that day goes dumbbell lateral, overhead press, close grip compound. So a tricep based compound. And then there's like a pec fly somewhere in there. Yeah. And that's the only chest work that's in there and the rest of it's shoulders and arms. Yeah. So I think you could, you can modify some sessions or if you had off days that were there, cause I, uh, for a while I ran like a, a push pull off legs off. It's like, okay, I don't want to change the frequency. I can just move some stuff into like that one of those off days and it'd be like a shorter workout. So, Hey, this, these movements that my, my push days, like almost an hour and a half long, I can move some of that into my, my off day. Um, and maybe start there as a, a way to rearrange volume quality, but I could also make it to where I, if I need more work, I can put more work there. Um, and, and following a pull day, I would probably do it to where it's like some delt and triceps on that day. And then I have the biceps on leg day. So it's not off the back end of, of pull. 
something something like like that. Um, but I think that's where you could have essentially you ha you would have pretty much an arm day without affecting the rest. Um, I think if you're highly advanced and you're truly like, hey, I'm I'm complete and I only need arms. <laughs> and okay. Well, yeah, everything else can be deprioritized, and you could have like a straight up arm day. And I would I would have it to where you would make sure you trained arms probably three days a week. I would say triceps is the, is the one thing that you might have to debate only doing twice. Uh, it just seems like it there, it, it, it takes a little bit less than biceps does. I, I think primarily, maybe potentially because you can load it so much in pressing um, versus how it gets loaded in, in your pulls. If, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just, just a consideration. If you're, if you are highly advanced, yeah, you should be deprioritizing muscle groups and um uh, you know i i do something similar in a way because i have to prioritize um especially if you have weight requirements so like leg volume right now is at just five sets of quads and hams um, but for me it's chest delts and triceps that's what i need so at the lower volume in other areas to be able to add more volume in the areas that i want and be able to recover and um i have like my own like I have a push day, a pull day. That's now it's like a, a back ham because I just have those few sets on the end of my pull. And then another back leg day that's a little bit of back, a little bit of quad, but it's easy to recovery from. And then I'll have a more of a, it's like a, a push day with delt emphasis. So, um, and that's a, a good good setup right now. We'll see if it leads to me coming out the back end of, of off season with the areas <laughs> that I want. But again, it's an initial setup guys. So you set it up, you run it and you can adjust after a block. Um, I think we can stand, spend a little bit too much time in front of the computer screen and paper of writing down the perfect plan. This is me. Um, I will have it like thinking, going through the session in my mind, writing it out. And eventually you go through it and then you're like, Oh shit, that didn't work. I just have to modify it. So <laughs> You, you just run the session and you'll know how you need to change it um, kind of intuitively. So, and then after a few weeks, Hey, if it wasn't quite right, adjust it. It's okay. You know, don't get bogged down by trying to set up the perfect thing on paper. Yeah. I think, I think that that's like a good way to kind of wrap it up too. It's just like apply, adjust, apply, adjust, and, and kind of move from it from there. I ain't not gonna lie, you send me those programs sometimes, I just see you sitting there like in front of the computer, like walking back and forth, cause you're so aggravated with writing the plan. You're like, fuck it, Luke, just look at it. <laughs> yeah, I'll finally, well, it was funny cause I had this last split, I had, you know, Luke critique and look over and make sure I wasn't crazy. Was calves and abs was driving me crazy for program. Cause I, I want, I want abs, then you're like, well, I want enough calf too. And then, then you're getting to the, the point of like, well, I want everything to grow. Um, so it's like, how do I set this up to where it makes sense and then train abs before leg that, you know, you're going through all this stuff in your head. And uh, it's funny because that that's what like kind of bogged me down at, at looking at it, not the priority muscle groups or the, the muscle groups I wanted to deprioritize or anything. It was like the, the little nuance stuff. But, but no, you're absolutely right. Like it's easy to get, pretty bogged down looking and programming out so well i think that wraps it up man I think that yeah uh let us know if you have questions on arm training and you can leave them down in the description below happy to always answer those for you if you are listening on not youtube and can't comment or on spotify or google play or wherever you're at um, one thanks for listening but you can also check out our applied hypertrophy module 
And that takes you through exactly what we're talking about here. So how to set up in the gym, look for your alignment. What does the muscle do? Then find the pattern that fits within that. And we go through every exercise that Luke and I think would be more optimal choices, but also give you other options within those choices too, for your access to equipment and probably within your ability and also within needing like a regression or a progression pattern. Maybe this is just too simple of an exercise. I need something more challenging. So we go through all that. So check it out. Um, we, it's 12 lectures and we go through every single body part. And that is on j3university.com. But anyway, guys, until next time, we appreciate you listening and we will talk to you then.